Welcome to Build with Rob. I am Rob Deerdick, CEO and founder of The Deerdick Machine, a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea. The science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible, universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my do-or-dire partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today, I'm talking with Brian Atlas, my co-founder in Street League Skateboarding and the president and COO of the Deer Deck Machine. SLS was acquired in a merger with Thrill One Sports and Entertainment, creating the largest action sports media and entertainment company in the world. The vision for Street League was to create a true professional skateboarding league where the best pro skateboarders in the world would battle it out trick for trick on the sport's biggest stage. We created an innovative scoring system in a format that created exciting buzzer beater moments never before seen in action sports. SLS was unique in the fact that I funded the entire company from the very beginning. A few years after it was launched, we decided to take on a venture investment. Choosing to take on venture funding was a pivotal moment that changed our lives forever. We'll talk about whether it was the right decision to take the leap from privately funded to venture funded and all the things that we now take into consideration if and when we raise money. Brian Atlas, welcome to the show, man. Build with Rob, we're here. You know what I mean? After all the talk, all the potential names, all of what it could be, here it is. It's Build with Rob. Feels good. You know, how does, how does it feel? How does it look? How does it sound? Looks amazing. You know, the premium media experience, expect nothing less. Okay. Look, uh, before us is this extraordinarily glistening symbolism of absolute and complete success. They are the liquidity vintage and the exit trophies of the Deer Deck machine. In today's episode, we're talking about our path from creating Street League together through learning to raise capital and then really taking it all the way to a merger with Thrill One Sports and Entertainment. So this is really our journey together where we learned a ton. And we learned venture capital and raising money and basically everything that we are today from our experience together from Street League. And what I really want to showcase today is, is really we made a choice that, hey, this is a self-funded, you know, sustainable business that we decided to take on capital partners and it changed both of our lives completely and the business and everything. So that's that's really the lesson that we want to to share ahead of everything. And so really, I want to start of laying out sort of our vision and, and, and how Street League began. Like, do you remember how you felt about the idea when I told you about Street League from the very beginning? I think I had two conflicting emotions about it. I thought you had the perfect background to create something so ambitious and amazing for skateboarding. But I was concerned about the audience and the skaters being down for a platform of that magnitude, especially the street skaters that were respected. And it was what you want to disrupt contest didn't have those 
guys that were truly authentic to the streets. Okay, now how old were you when you made this assumption? I was 22, 21. <laughs> I was uh, oh, a straight like, college, yeah, college yeah. student, just deep in college. Man, just literally just graduated college. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is um, really funny to me. I had been working on the vision for years, right? Mm-hmm. So went through the entire process of teaching myself to draft in 30 to one scale before AutoCAD and drafted a 30,000 square foot plaza, skate plaza, the first of its kind and raised the money and had it built in Kettering, Ohio, where I was born and did the very first version of Street League, Hammers versus Bangers. All the very best guys in the world came out and had a little mini event there, right? It was the pilot because, you know, the the white space and the opportunity in skateboarding was there was a difference between the streets and filming and sort of the respect that it took to, to create a career through video parts and magazines and then contest skaters. Mm-hmm. And the idea was I was going to bridge that. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was called Street League from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? From the streets to the league. You know what I mean? Like always... You know, and and so I knew there was something there from when that plaza happened. Then I invested in a startup television network that was going to buy malls all over the country. And I was going to Street League was going to be a part of it. And I was going to put Street League courses in every single mall that these guys bought. And it was going to be the pro tour. Mm -hmm. Extraordinary extraordinary don't know what i invested in i don't even they just stopped talking to me i want to say i invested a couple hundred g's and you know i don't know what i invested in to be honest with you i don't know they just stopped talking to me you know what i mean but it ex- really accelerated the vision mm-hmm. you know including i did the logo of myself you know backsmith uh, yeah backsmith og but it really really came to life when you know, I was offered the opportunity to be the consultant for the Maloof Cup mm-hmm. and, the, and the Maloof brothers were throwing an event and they, they, they wanted to come and disrupt it. And I was hesitant because it's like, I'm, I'm doing this street league thing and like, but I guess I'll, I'll, I'll share some of my ideas and maybe we mm-hmm. could partner, you know, and, and that really changed everything because we met, you know, Joe Siaglia there that proved that like, wow, he built a concrete course in two days that could be torn down, mm-hmm. right? Which was like, un- didn't even seem fathomable yeah, back Yeah, nothing then. like that has ever been done before. Uh, Paul Tablieb showed up with an instant scoring system that they were like, nope, that does, that's too confusing. It doesn't work. But I knew that was this sort of like aha moment of like, wow, if if this is really going to be different and really be compared to like sports, if you could score every trick along the way, and this would, would make it more closer to pro sports and the mainstream audience Mm -hmm. could actually follow it. Because what would happen now is like, you know, the guy goes, gets his points and you're building points all the way through. And, and so, you know, the journey was set of like, Here's sort of the vision. Here's sort of the the parts, but I, I didn't quite understand the business. And this is where Brian Atlas comes in, where I hire Brian Atlas to write the business plan, right? And you know, we we joke about it being like a six hundred page business plan for a business that I'm I was going to finance anyway, but it was a masterpiece. And do you remember your process when you were like, because you did competition analysis, consumer analysis, mm-hmm. like you really got so detailed. Where did you like learn to write a business plan mm-hmm. from? And take me back to the passion and how committed you were yeah, when course. you wrote that plan. So I uh, was lucky enough to be in this entrepreneurship program at USC. 
And that in itself was a decision that kind of set me up to be able to do that for you and write the business plan because I studied at the time, it was before, you know, the the 20 page pitch deck and business plans are still something they taught in entrepreneurship school. So yeah, it's, uh, it's funny to think that at some point, everyone now that's a, just put the vision even, on it. Yeah, yeah. You had to actually do work. Exactly. And, and people really read them. Oh, Give 100%. us a business plan. hundred percent. Now it's just a deck. We don't, we can't read a business plan. Exactly. Do we, do we think you got something here? We'll give you yeah, money. Exactly. So I, uh, learned that skill set and I was actually found a couple of consulting jobs on Craigslist and through word of mouth and I started doing it on the on the side. And once you start talking about Street League and I saw the Moof Cup go down, I remember being in the stands and seeing P Rod switch flip for the final trick almost. I mean, it was so close to the Street League vision as a case study. I was like, wow, this thing is fully possible. Rob was right. Like this is a fully feasible vision. So I was just so motivated and fired up to do such a good job because I thought it could be like a life-changing opportunity. I know I was like, charge you three grand and I was all, you know, intense about the contract and yeah. in hindsight, it's really funny. Now, what would be great is if I just didn't pay you, we still <laughs> talk about it, where I still owed you, that'd be, that'd oh, be that'd way be amazing. better. Amazing. But I don't know if you remember, I used to be in your kitchen, you'd be pacing and talking about Street League and I would just be typing away and you had it all in your mind. You like had the, de the details, the lighting package and it being in this premium setting and so much of that was just in those sessions. And um, I was just really fired up to capture it. And, and look, and I think, you know, it, it went on to be this extraordinary business plan. And it's all these years later, it's very true to how we we work today, you mm -hmm. know, because because as the COO and president of the Deer Dick Machine, it is, you know, it's a lot more streamlined where it's like, here's the vision for this particular vertical. Here's all the pieces that we need. Like, here's the person mm -hmm. that we need to hire. Like, and then you similar. just, you capture and then go execute yeah, it and, and apply it. It's, yeah, it's you know, point. you would have never thought that it started at a business plan in the Robin Big kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where there were still like TV lights in there and like smell from like dead rats. You know what I mean? It was a lifestyle. It was an early MTV lifestyle. That's true. But it transitioned quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the truth is all the relationships, both with all of the different people that spend money in the space, all of the athletes, like having this idea of it's going to be like true professional sports. We're going to sign everyone to exclusive contracts. We're going to pay more prize money than any contest in history. It's going to be a buy skater, four skater type of mentality. And, and really only you could have written the business plan because you'd have to be a skater to even know how to write it. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, it was a, a pretty easy like, hey, I'll give you a piece of this thing. Let's go and do this together. Right. Mm -hmm. So life changing, you know, so that 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 hard work and dedication from that 3000 cake and eat it too. Uh, you became the co-founder of a professional skateboarding league along with getting your three thousand dollars <laughs> on two fifteen hundred dollar installments. <laughs> But, but it was easy to build, right? In, in the sense that it was just me selling, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I built the whole thing out, let, put the vision, got all the pro skaters involved, you know, bullied some of the agents that controlled some of the bigger name guys to make sure that like everybody was signed. But even then, we went and signed all the most hardcore street guys that never entered contests that believed in the vision mm -hmm. and what it was, right? And and that's why we were able to fund it so easily in year one. And so here we are, you know, August 28th, 2010 and, and Glendale, Arizona. What was it like for you in that very first event that we did? 
Well, I was uh, just completely, you know, shocked with emotion and just, I can't believe he like pulled it off. It was like the undertaking, like going into it, we were so naive about what we were even creating, the magnitude of it, that after the first event, it was, you know, emotional. I was just completely, you know, happy and just uh, over the moon. All right. Let me tell you what. I still believe there's a part of my soul imprinted on the floor seat, section 22 of the Glendale, Arizona arena. It was one of the most painful experiences of my entire life. If you can imagine this extraordinary concrete urban plaza in the middle of a giant arena where pro sports is played, I, you know, went all out crazy UFC level lighting package and the contest format was like watching paint dry it was not only was it like watching paint dry because i didn't anticipate how slow the pace would feel but then we had no run of show mm. no music mm. no sound like the announcing mm. wasn't right it was like i i mean i can still feel like my soul dying like thinking is this amazing or did this just fail instantly mm. but true to its concept right because the depth of it was Hey, you go through all these sections and you collect points. And if you're close at the end, it's going to come down and create this buzzer beater moment where somebody's going to have to do a single trick to win. You know, it was soul wrenching, like just soul sucking, quiet, painful death up until those last couple <laughs> tricks. And boy, it was there, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the real professional sport moment existed and it was like, man, this is really it. And, and, you know, perhaps there was some emotion in there. I'm not a very emotional guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, optimize, optimize. How is this going to get better? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it was a massive undertaking that mm -hmm. we, that we did do, you know, and it was a thrilling thing to see come alive. And, and it and it mattered to the community. Mm -hmm. It mattered to everybody. And and you know, ultimately, at, even at the time, like skateboarding judging was done in a way that it was how the judges felt about the person. Mm -hmm. There was all this like free range. It's his time to win type of yeah, thing. Yeah, like they would just choose it, and who kept like they would never let Nigel win mm -hmm. because you know Nigel Houston was a really young super talented phenom that the old guard just didn't want to see win like he would win every contest and they would just give him second mm -hmm. and our system was like built to where that could never happen again and you know lo and behold he came out there and made it happen and he won that first event only later did we find that you know we had had to go through a, a custody situation with him because his parents divorcing and go through a court to even get him there and his family was like dead broke when they showed up in Arizona and this kid you know like big flip front boarded the big rail in the final section to win $150,000 and change change his life you know something that you know it's always a great aspect of the story but we now have this professional Sports entertainment property were players, right? Because we killed the whole industry by signing those exclusive deals. Then we forced you could choose, you could choose up with the X Games or Due Tour, but you couldn't be in them all. Like we put pressure on that whole industry, you know, especially the mainstream media. And we were a real deal player in it, right? And we had our deal with ESPN, DC, and Monster un underwrit it. We had deals with Microsoft and different brands that I had relationships with. And then we were ultimately approached 
by an individual who did investment banking in the sports media side of business. You said, hey, you guys got a real asset here, you know, and did the CEO at the time of Deer Deck Enterprises, did he talk to you about it before he talked to me? Do you remember when, when we first sort of heard about Andrew Klein? And I think he just basically brought it to you as a way for you to stop capitalizing yourself. Yeah. More of a solution of, you know, at that point, you were basically the sole investor into your own business. Yeah. And, and that's how I did everything mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. In my life. I, I never had, like, I gave no away equity or got, I've never been involved with any outside money. I've never been involved in a company where you raised money, like, after the fact. It was totally foreign to me. And But we were sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. We were running lean, doing it all. Like, you were, you were basically running everything, mm-hmm. you know, wearing a thousand hats. And it was sort of that like idea of like, okay, well, all right. So I guess if this investment banker who, you know, again, to this day, I I thought an investment banker was like the premium, like clientele handler of a regular bank, Mm -hmm. you know, not an investment banker who is a middleman who will represent a company who's selling or raising money, who will represent you for both a little bit of your equity payment up front <laughs> and payment uh, a percentage of what you totally raise. Yeah. It's the ultimate like middleman deal of all time mm-hmm. because you live in all, think of all yeah, the, think of all, all look, it, all like really pick your banker. If you're in the, if you ever think about selling your business or raising capital, be, be, be very mindful of the banker that you create. Now we, we had an amazing one, you know, I'm to this day, I look at him as like the true beginning of the, the next chapter of my entire life. Uh, because we really did learn all aspects of it, but but here we are, we 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 crossed this threshold, right? So it's like, hey, you can continue just owning this thing outright and and funding it yourself, or you can find a partner uh, to come in and be a capital partner to help grow the business. Although we didn't fully quite under, understand what that meant, right? So we went on the journey of now building the plan for taking this business to market. Do you remember the process? Is there anything that sticks out to you when it became the process of creating how we would sell ourselves? I remember whiteboard sessions with the bankers trying to figure out what the real business model was and how we were going to tell the story of what the Street League plan was. And it was at that point that it was really clear that we didn't have a plan. Yeah, We just, we created something special. We created something disruptive that we felt skateboarding needed but we didn't create it with an end in mind. And that became really clear when we tried to make that deck. When did it make sense to you our trade value, right? Because he initially came in and said, hey, you can run, you can raise $10 million at a 30 million post, right? It made no sense. And it was, I remember trying to know, like you would, you take the 20 and you add the 10 and now you're worth yeah, 30. I remember- money, post money speech. Yo, free money, yeah, you know, because how it works out there, if you're going to go go do it, you know, it's like your your company- you'll hear a lot of times pre-money and post-money. And so it's like they're saying, what is the valuation of the the company before you add the money on top? And because you would be per- perhaps making a a raise of money between five and 10, and then the pre sets it, if you ended up only raising five, then the post-money, meaning after the money's in, the total valuation of this business would be 25 million. In our case... It was, we're valuing you at 30 million. We're going to raise 10, so 20 pre, and made no sense to me, right? We did, you know, six and a half million dollars, maybe seven million dollars, you know, running it right at profitable, 
how on earth could be we be worth that much money? Now, do you ever remember trying to figure that out? Like, because I don't remember not us. Only did we not figure it out? We went to New York on a road show and just pitched the hell out of a 30 plus million dollar valuation. I remember being in these meetings for the first time and, and you know, just not even understanding the dynamic of what the, you know, the potential investor was thinking. But we'd be like, oh yeah, we're a $36 million business, you know, post money and we're trying to raise six and a 30. Okay. Let's, let me, let me, let me back up for everybody here. So this is, this is the stage we're at. We're not even sure what's happening, right? And I have a CEO of Deer Dick Enterprise. I have, I have in, like internal legal counsel, like all of us, me, Brian, all of us don't really know what's going on, right? <laughs> like we're, none of us have experience in any, at any level in venture, private equity, any aspect of it, right? And so what the investment bank had got us to do is put together this extraordinary plan that we would go out on a road show. We would go mm-hmm. and meet everybody that would possibly invest, right? But the, and the problem was, is this the particular business that we were pitching to them was totally unrealistic, mm-hmm. right? And so he, here we are, fully self-funded, never heard of this, got brought, got lured in by like, hey, you may not have to like fund this anymore and you could have 10 million in working capital, right? Like I wasn't, I was only thinking about it from, okay, I don't, I'm not going to lose any money. And then I got this money to try to grow it. Never mm-hmm. thought about what it was worth to me ever. Mm-hmm. And now we're out pitching to all these really sophisticated and, you know, investors a business plan that was insane. In year five, we're doing $125 million and $70 million in profit. And it it is in hindsight now that that we have evolved and grown as business people, it would be the quickest red flag. We wouldn't even think twice about it when we saw something. Come on, you ain't nobody's doing $70 million in profit in five years off of this like niche sports business. Like, how are all these things going to turn into these like crazy profitable businesses? But we didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, another big problem with the way that we did it was it was peak Rob. Mm. We're talking peak Rob. It was just flipped the car for the, the Chevy integration I had, and just had a Super Bowl commercial of this crazy stunt. I had all my DC and Monster and, and Lunchables and all these multiple brand deals. Had a cartoon on Nickelodeon, had Fantasy Factory, my giant like a Willy Wonka like place of business, had ridiculousness on MTV. I am a multi-platform a multi-brand, just celebrity entrepreneur, just peak power, right? And so we thought, you know what the best thing to do is lead with Rob. You put that slide at the top. Oh man. So we would just like lay out, here's everything. And it's like, wow, this is like, whoa, okay. And then here's this uh, skateboard business, <laughs> right? And you know, we, how many, how many different people do you think we pitched it to? At least uh, 20 to 30 different groups. Man, it feels like a hundred. Okay, but we pitched this razzle-dazzle pitch over and over and over again. Some good, some bad. You you always left there feeling like, man, this is it all, this is it, you know? And we never got one person to invest, right? And and the truth is, and this this is for anybody that would ever consider like transitioning their business from, you know, self- funded to thinking that you're going to go get capital. Money loves clarity, 
right? At the end of the day, all the people that you're going to pitch to are just looking at you as like, okay, this is what, if I invest in, you're just another asset class. You're just another opportunity to get a return on capital. For the most part, they're probably managing. Mm -hmm. And what is the return they can expect, right? And so they're, they're looking at it as, you know, clean as can be of saying, hey, this is an events business that has four events that's doing 7 million in revenue. This is like an events business trades at around one and a half times revenue, not like four to five times revenue, right? And for us, we wouldn't, even if they said that, I would have like, you know, our investment banker would have jumped in and said, oh, it's a premium and what is, you know, we wouldn't even have been like, even know how to handle uh, something like that. But but it was clear to us over time that the approach was wrong on on two fronts, right? It was the fact that, uh, the shiny object that was Rob and all this entire vision of his entire personal brand and how it scaled into all of these different forms of media and other brands, they were more excited about that. And then ultimately that distracted from the idea of the professional skateboarding league, which then the way we were pitching, it was like, this, this isn't even possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we re-strategized and now, and, and really you're running the company. Mm-hmm. So we, we, it would be me in the face and then like, well, where are you going to be? Oh, I got to, you know, obviously I'm shooting my cartoon. I got like two shows on MTV. I'm doing my other stuff. You know, I'm, hey, I'm, you know, it's like, it was a bad look to be like, here's the visionary behind this thing, but it's just, he's got 50 other yeah, things not going only on. Did no one invest when we did get term sheets. It would be, hey, we want a first look on half of Rob's businesses. Right. We had one private equity company that not only were they totally enamored with that piece, they tried to contractually lock you up. The street league part was not even in their equation. And that's when we really knew we just had to retool the whole thing. Hey, we got slipped a Mickey where we got a term sheet offer that was just a, here's the 10 million. And there was like, <laughs> we got a term, we got one term sheet. It was for the full 10 million. And then part of it was they owned half of Rob Deerdeck forever. <laughs> it was not even like, hey, oh, and by the way, everything Rob does for the rest of his life, we own half of it, which, you know, God bless them. You know what I mean? They were, they were, you know, and, and look, we, I was so hurt that we, cause in my mind, this is it. We're, being recognized we're going to be taken to the next level this is what what it is and like the fact that like you know nobody bought into the passion Mm. right because like i'm still this you know sales guy who's got a vision who's created this whole universe right that's and it was hard on me that people weren't just buying into me in the vision right and and that's how it is for all creative product brand people. Mm-hmm. They're just so brand product, so brand product, so brand product. And people investing, like you might be able to get a high net worth individual that, that gets drawn into your energy and your charisma <laughs> and, your, and your vision. But people that manage money are trying to understand their return. And, and when you're asking for that type of money, you know, they are looking at it from Okay, if you're a media business and you're raising money at a $30 million valuation, am I going to get four to five X on my money? Meaning I need this venture to be sold for a hundred to 150 for me to make sort of the vision uh, for what I intend to make when I deploy capital. 
it's another thing you just have to look at. Like the type of yeah. per, the, their thesis and the type of returns they're looking for will, will give you more clarity on not only what you have to achieve for them, but whether or not they'd even be interested in investing in you. Yeah, when we first showed the the first version of the pitch to Frank Foster, one of the first true venture capitalists we've ever met, he just said, hey guys, you need to tell a concise financial story. And when he said it, we weren't even the place to even take it serious. We just kind of kept it moving and he was, he was spot on. Yeah. And, the, and I still remember to this day of how sharp it was because he loved the vision. Mm-hmm. He was bought into the passion. He was about it all. But then it, and so it was like, what do you say? you need to explain simply how you're going to make money. And it was like, exactly. ah. it was cutting and like, ah. <laughs> you just don't get it, Frank. Exactly. This is past, this is, this is skateboarding history. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which is like, and, and to me, it's just something that anybody uh, that ever wants to raise any money, you, you just have to get off like your idea, your passion, everything that you present, push forward is only validating what they see as a financial opportunity. Mm-hmm. That, that's ultimately what you have to understand. So, you know, retold the whole vision, brought it back down to reality, mm-hmm. gave it a, a proper trade value uh, based off of it being an events business. And then you marched out into the streets to go pitch all the business yourself so that I wasn't in there selling all the razzle dazzle. Yeah, we literally took you out of the room. That's how much of a shiny object the Rob force was. Yeah. We were removed from the room. That's how much we uh, had to retool. And uh, the second go at it was a whole other year because there were still other aspects of the plan we were working out and it was still a tough road. Yeah. Uh, So we weren't getting a lot of yeses, but at least the story was more dialed. I think we, you know... The valuation itself, like you said, we brought that to planet Earth, brought that down. Yeah. It was just a whole, whole Yeah, I want to say it landed on, you know, like in like the 15 range, you know, yeah, exactly. it ended up being a lot more, more realistic. But you did go out and you finally found a, our very first investor mm-hmm. into street league skateboarding. And who was that? That was Mark Wan of Causeway Media Partners. And what was interesting about Causeway is they specialized in sports properties, sports media. Their thesis was tied to live content and having premium athletes. It was literally the bullseye of what Street League represented in our space. So once we saw that firm kind of investment focus, we knew that this might have been a stronger fit. Yeah. And look, and there's two lessons in that, right? It's one, let the market tell you whether or not you have value or what you need to change or consider and if you want to bring on partners. It's a great learning experience to hear other really smart people pick your business apart. Mm. Painful, but very real. Mm-hmm. And and then finding capital that connects with the vision of your brand is always going to be, it's a further level than strategic, right? Because not only are they focused on this area, so they're going to have a ton of expertise, but they're also, they understand the value of what you're doing and have relationships to to scale that value much more than you could even realize and why that's a, a another really important thing if you can find it very hard to find and we we really got lucky right so we raised our first round of capital and man it got real it got real overnight right because it's like it was just me and you 
running and gunning, living life. Like, let's do this. Let's do that. And now all of a sudden there's a board structure. Like you got to restructure the entire way the company is, is put together as it relates to employees and benefits and all, all of these additional costs and things that you had to contemplate and, and put together. What, what was it like for you, you know, now officially transitioning from a self-funded privately held business to now a venture backed its return on capital time? What was that transition like? I think the pressure definitely doubled or just maybe even more in terms of what the stakes were, because now we had someone uh, with his partners cut a real check. And now we had a plan that we were supposed to meet those expectations. And the quarterly board meeting cadence where you compare the actual performance to plan and all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, year two, we said we were going to do this. And yeah. year two was probably like north of 10 million in revenue. And we're staring at that. And we was like, okay, well, how do we even get there? Yeah. Like that plan becomes reality. And Mark and his group are, they're such stand-up great people that all of a sudden you don't want to let them down. Yeah. You know, they, they made a bet on you and all of a sudden the stakes get higher. It's yeah. a totally different game. And, and it's their strategic validators too. Those mm-hmm. board meetings mattered. Right. Like where it's, it's, here's the vision. Here's, here's the progress. Here's some of the things we're kind of stuck on, you know, here's what's not happening and why. And it evolves, right? It's still, there is no part of a business model plan. Even after you raise capital, you don't, people like, for some reason, a lot of times will think like, oh, you got all this, you raised a big round, like you're living life. They, they, like, I think a lot of people will equate, you know, raising a big round of money is like, you just got rich. Like, no, you just got like a gun to your head. And like, now you have to grow because there is now an expectation that we're going to get a return out of this, you know? And I think at this point you were already becoming a voice of like, what's the real plan? How are we going to get there? We realized too late that we didn't have that end game dialed. But then you became the constant force of like, no, we really got to crack this. We really got to figure it out. And that's where we started putting a lot of our energy of how to evolve the business. Yeah. And and look, I think like at that point, you know, I had grown so much. I, you know, I think just the process of um, raising the capital combined with sort of wanting to uh, evolve myself as a business person and really beginning to learn how sort of venture capital worked, it, I, I began to start to look at the business differently, became, you know, and yeah. really began to like start look at everything with that, like, you know, before you start win sort of mindset of like, okay, what do we actually, yeah, what can we, we do yeah. to get there? And everything kept pointing towards media, right? Yeah, because, right. you know, where we were in trouble that we would have never contemplated was like the business from a unit economic standpoint was unscalable, mm-hmm. right? So we had, it, our product was our events and the content connected with it. Each one of those events cost $2 million to make. And there was just a max of sponsorship dollars that we could get for the overall tour. So, it, but since each one of these events was so expensive. There was literally no option for us to scale. We couldn't like ra- raise enough money or create enough revenue to do more events mm. because it just didn't exist. And so, you know, now you're this four or five event company per year that has nowhere to go, right? So it's it's the only real option was to evolve away from being an events business and evolve to a media business. And really... 
the idea was born of like, hey, let's go create an entire content calendar all year long that was using our uh, elite pro athletes and and live events, right? And because the the beauty of it was is even the transition of TV and everything involved, like it was still live events where in sports was this huge driver. We had all the best athletes in the world. So now it was like, if it's $2 million to do a street league event, how do we do a live event in the streets for 20 grand? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where sort of the concept was born of the SVOD that we would launch. And to give you give you context between me and Brian, uh, in the way that we think, what did you want to name the new SVOD originally? I don't remember. This guy wanted to name it Second Try. <laughs> like in skateboarding, it's all about tries, you know. And and he was like, you, "We should name it Second Try." Like Street League was our first try. <laughs> now, now this SVOD, I'm wow. like, what, bro? Like that's so negative. I'm like, if anything, <laughs> it should be first try, right? Where it's like in skateboarding, like you know, the holy grail of like, you know, you go to try a trick, you don't know if it could take you one try or a thousand tries. So, but if you do it first try, Mm -hmm. like that mattered. So I'm like, if anything, we should call it first try, you know, like second try, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we're here, but like, hey guys, you know? And, and so two days later, I'm sitting at home and I'm like, man, you know, what's first try? Like, that's not like really a brand. And then I'm like, man, and you know, here's this concept. It was, we were going to show all live content. And as I'm thinking about that, it like all of a sudden I'm like, no, the holy grail of skateboarding is mastery, right? And we say in skateboarding, uh, when you have a trick on lock that you never miss it, we refer to it as every try. And so I was like, oh, that's it. Forget about second try or first try. This is every try. And it had the double entendre of like, this is an all skateboarding, all live platform. So you would see every single try. And I went and bought everytry.com. And I just text you. I remember to this day because I was so gassed up on myself. I was like, this is genius. I bought everytry.com. And I said, what's better than first, first try? And you're like, I don't know. And I sent it to you, everytry.com. You know what I mean? I don't know if you remember that. specifically remember, remember but, that. But that was the launch. Uh, and, and, and it be- eventually became ETN because every try felt a little too too on the nose and for ETN skateboarding. is like a broadcast network has yeah. three letter. And, and look, so here we are, you know, still with these these great partners that are supporting us, but now a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of a big hiring, spending a lot of money and launched ETN, skateboarding's very first SVOD. And SVOD is subscription video on demand. You know, like we had really began to understand the size of the skateboard market and and ultimately the amount of people that watched our events and all this stuff. And really we saw, you know, the opportunity was to become our own distribution platform and have skaters pay for it, you know, and, and man, like, you know, just quickly, you know, cause it's a pretty, you know, uh, an extraordinarily amazing feather in the cap to know that you basically launched an, by yourself <laughs> an entire network 
of content? What, what was it like well, to do that? You know, the, the most, uh, I think, exciting concept that we led with was that face melters, which is basically yeah. the gnarliest tricks in the streets live. And we opened up the app uh, launch weekend, the Davis Gap, Jaws, and Tommy Guns uh, Sandoval. Yeah. And uh, we had... And to give you an idea what that what he's saying is, because he was skate talking you, is we went to this giant monster gap that's mm-hmm. a, a, essentially like somebody jumping down 20 stairs yeah, on a skateboard. the gnarliest possible thing you could do on a skateboard. Yeah, and you know, that, you know, only a handful of people on earth would ever try. And we brought out like a live camera unit to like stream this live from the streets into... Uh, your mobile phone to launch the ETN platform. 100%. And that first day, we had so many downloads given the size of the skate audience and a lot of conversions. And I remember you texted me like, we, you know, you, that was really impressive, Brian. Like you pulled off an amazing launch and it meant so much to me because it was just like Street League, a huge undertaking to launch something like that. And then we got into the realities of user growth and what it means to have SVOD app and actually the challenges on that, but it was a successful launch. Yeah. And and look, it, what it also did was change the, the way the business was looked at mm-hmm. because now we went out and raised money, not on one and a half times revenue, but we could now say, Hey, we went from doing four live events with content uh, associated around that to where now we're doing 40, 50 events a year. And we're a media business. Mm-hmm. And so almost with identical revenue now, almost identical revenue, we were able to go out and raise $10 million at six times our revenue. A true Series B of, round. A true Series B round, right? And it's just a testament to like understanding where even if you have an existing business, there is an opportunity to transition that business potentially to a higher trade value depending on on what you have and and where you could pivot it cuz i wouldn't even call it necessarily a pivot as much as it was an expansion yeah we reengineered the business model and yeah. just changed how we monetized our platform you know that's it like we it was still the same core value of like it's the best skateboarders in the world doing the hardest tricks in the world mm-hmm. live right like and that's how either the event was or all the way down to face melters in the streets and it was you know, rewarding in the sense, you know, especially from a Deerdeck machine perspective, because it was also like, you know, the only uh, assets that that I had kept from my previous mm-hmm. portfolio was Street League and then evolving Super Jacket. So being able to like apply the new uh, before you start win sort of aspect to like we've got to turn this in to create the value to raise it was was another uh, hugely rewarding aspect of that. And then, you know, it the the reality of trying to launch an SVOD just proved to be extraordinarily difficult, right? And then, you know, you you couple that with sort of what was happening in, in the live event world. And despite, you know, we're still having, you know, elite sponsors and, and still getting people to download and, and drive what it was, the league itself, the platform itself again, had so much pressure to grow Mm -hmm. because, you know, you take on that money, like you are now at this new, yeah, you did it. You got to this six X valuation from a one and a half valuation, but boy, now, now you've got to go and build a business. Worth a hundred million or more. Yeah. Yeah, You have to get to the value to a point where the last round of investors can see a path to their return. Yeah. And, and for us, it, it, it proved to be extraordinarily difficult. And then as fate would have it, as fate would have it, um, the most 
uh, unthinkable sort of opportunity presented itself. So there was a group that um, had owned Nitro Circus, who uh, was a big live events touring business and was looking to add additional assets. And part of that in for a, a group like this, what they're trying to do is essentially like acquire as many assets and, you know, the different sort of categories uh, that could be connected to create one large value. They call it a roll up in the business. And they had eyed Super Jacket, the production company that we have through Deer Deck Machine as like, hey, this would be an amazing opportunity to put Deer Deck Machine with Nitro Circus. And then it was like, wow, then we could take a uh, street league and now add this. And now we really have overnight this amazing company that's all three of these brands together, uh, which was a remarkable opportunity. One that I would say was almost of destiny, right? Mm -hmm. Because at this point you had transitioned completely out of uh, street league and ETN and were now the COO and president of the deer deck machine. Mm -hmm. And here we are, the only two assets from the very beginning that we're looking to push into this roll-up for both of them to be acquired at the very same time. What was that like for you? I think uh, the main thing was the whole journey that got us there was a lot of like dedication and like not giving up. Yeah. And that was something that I think you and I always had in our, in our mind is just like, we kept going, we kept trying to like do the extra work, you know, push on the extra deal, whatever it was to get to that stage. And basically the property lasted long enough, given that work and dedication that that opportunity presented itself. And, you know, if it wasn't for the SVOD phase where we didn't get that series B done, like all those milestones got us that much further on the journey. So it was a reflection of all the things that we just covered. Now, in hindsight, should we have ever taken any money? That's a complicated one. I would say yes, but we shouldn't have done it without having a better plan in advance. Yeah. Starting with the end in mind of really what's the end game. You know, if we did that, the moment we probably signed Nike as a title sponsor, yep. we could have taken it to market for a full acquisition and got a really great return for our investors, for you. And um, they would have had three years of, of revenue for them to build the, the, the business off of. So we went into raising capital prematurely without truly understanding the end game. So that's what we would have done differently. Yeah, hey, we would have done it completely differently, but we wouldn't have learned everything 100%. that we actually learn. And now that we apply to yeah. every business destiny. we create now, you know. So destiny. it was 100% destiny, but it, it ended up, a uh, new company was formed, Thrill One Sports and Entertainment, an amazing CEO and Joe Carr and, and uh, Thrill One and Street League merged together. And then together they acquired super jacket a monumental moment for uh myself for you and and for the deer deck machine really you know and, and again we're mm. here to celebrate since you are the co-founder and and not only the the president and ceo of the deer deck machine but ultimately the driving force of almost everything that that i've learned in venture mm -hmm. it is only right that you get 12 bottles of liquidity vintage in Incredible. your very own exit trophy that you get to, you get to keep in your house forever you know thank you Ralph. and again not only am i thankful for you as a friend and, and someone who's intricate in this entire business that we do and we're just at the very beginning of it but thankful for 
uh, how much you really, how dedicated and how much you really did put in to see this thing all the way to, to the very end. So very much deserving. Thank you, Rob. It means a lot to me and I'm just incredibly uh, grateful because I've learned so much. It's just been an amazing journey. Okay, look, and, and as you know, we're doing the Do or Die Foundation. We're putting 100000 in to the foundation for uh, Street League. And, and as I've told you, I'm putting 100000 in for Brian Atlas. And here's the thing. Brian Atlas was a young entrepreneur <laughs> that got a loan from a foundation that changed his life. That's true. Uh, and, and so some young entrepreneur through the Do or Die Foundation is going to win some money in the name of Brian Atlas. Thank like a, a very special type of doer dyer that I call a super doer dyer who executes methodically with ease, right? Like this is uh, my right hand man, the number two at the Dyrdek machine and ultimately someone that I am proud to be in business with and look forward to celebrating many, many wins together well for said. many years to come. God bless. Well said. Thanks, Thank Rob. you, Brian. Thank you. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer dyer and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the Deerdick Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. You got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build With Rob.